We've been moving through Leviticus over the past months, I suppose now, I should say, instead of weeks. Um, But over the past months, we've been moving through Leviticus. We come this morning to Leviticus chapter 5, verses 14 through chapter 6 and verse 7. And our New Testament complementary passage is John's Revelation, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. So if you would open your Bibles to John's Revelation chapter 2 in honor of God's word, please stand. Revelation chapter 2 beginning in verse 1, hear God's word. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. As far in the reading of God's word, please turn to Leviticus chapter 5, beginning in verse 14, and continuing in the reading of God's word. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation a ram without blemish out of the flock, valued in silver shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, for a guilt offering. He shall also make restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy thing, and shall add a fifth to it and give it to the priest. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering, and he shall be forgiven. If anyone sins doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then he realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. He shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering, And the priest shall make atonement for him for the mistake that he made unintentionally, and he shall be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. He he has indeed incurred guilt before the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a manner of deposit or security or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor or has found something and lied about it, swearing falsely in any of all the things that people do and sin thereby. If he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was consumed by him or the lost thing that he found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. And he shall bring to the priest his as his compensation to the Lord, a ram without blemish out of the flock, or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do, and thereby become guilty. 
As far in the reading of God's word, let us pray. Father, we have read, we now come to the preaching and the hearing of your word, and we pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, and grant that we may be changed and conformed to this word. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. So you probably know the story. There was a young man who came to Jesus, and he asked him, Master, teacher, what's the greatest commandment of all? What's the one thing that tops them all? And you remember Jesus' answer. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and all the prophets. And the passage that's before us this morning is exactly that. It is a love for God and a love for our neighbor. This is laying out for us in the system of sacrifice, in the system of guilt, and in the system of repentance what a love for God looks like when it's broken, and what a love for neighbor looks like when it is broken. And so we see in the negative what it is that we are called to be, what it is we're called to do. Now, there's a distinction if, if you've been reading or, or going through Leviticus with us. The passage just previously has a lot of instances of how to bring the correct offering for a trespass against God. And then this passage has a lot of things, what to do to bring for an offering for a guilt offering before God. And there's a lot of debate, are these different things, the trespass offering versus the guilt offering? I think, at the very least, a distinction between the offerings that have come before, and these offerings, these seem to be more of a private nature. They seem to be more my personal sin that I have committed against God, as opposed to the previous section, which was more public. Uh, it, was, it was more of a public sin. So this is, to the degree that this is a private matter, a private thing between me and God. This is an active conscience. This is an Israelite who is seeing that there are things that I do in the holy place of God that I should not do, that I have not done, or that I have done and shouldn't have. There are things that I do in violating God's commands. There are things that I do in defrauding my neighbor. All of these things are ways in which God provides a way to be restored in fellowship. But you'll notice the first requirement is a tender conscience. <laughs> and you know this is the problem of Israel. You know this is exactly what happened throughout Israel's history. Later, we've got the minor prophets saying, what are you doing bringing your sick animals to offer to God. These animals that clearly are about to die, why are you bringing them to God for his offering? 
Well, the answer, of course, is because they were just punching a ticket. They were just going through the motions. They were just trying to dot the I and cross the T, and there was no heart that was passionate for reconciliation and harmony with God. And so as we look at this section, this love for God and love for our neighbor, let's step back just briefly and look at the larger context. Beginning in Exodus chapter 18 and continuing through Numbers chapter 9, the people of Israel are all camped here at Mount Sinai. They're all in one geographic spot, and they're in this spot for about a year. They, they, they stay in this one spot for about a year, and they receive from God this revelation through Moses. It's broken up into seven sections. At the end of each section, there is an increasing, a, 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 a developing theophany, picture of God, a, a presentation of God. Immediately after the Ten Commandments, we see that there was thick cloud and dark blackness. And then later we see God's feet standing, as it were, uh, on, on, on gemstones. And then later, the glory of God entering into the tabernacle. So these increasing understandings, these increasing visions or, or, or understanding of who God is. But Exodus ends with God indwelling the tabernacle and Moses standing on the outside. And so Leviticus asks the question, how are we going to come back into the tabernacle? How can we get back into this place of peace with God? How can we come? And so the whole sacrificial system is laid out for us and it builds up to Leviticus chapter 17 and that great day of atonement in which God declares the entire nation to be at peace with Him. That glorious day of atonement the very heart of Leviticus, is shown in its intensity. It's shown in its critical necessity by all of these steps that any faithful Israelite would go through again and again and again. Now you notice in the love for God, this this first section, beginning in verse 14, If you've been reading through your Bible, uh, we've got our weekly Bible schedule printed on the back of your bulletin insert. We're we're encouraging all of us to read through the Bible together uh, over the course of a year. And if you've been involved in that, then you might remember a week or so ago reading in Numbers. And it was Numbers uh, chapter 6, I believe it was. I'm sorry, Numbers chapter 4. It was Numbers chapter 4. And it was the count of all the men who were responsible to carry all of the various pieces of the tabernacle as the tabernacle moved throughout the wilderness. Now, maybe your memory is not as crystal clear on that total number, uh, because you did read it a couple of weeks ago, but the total number is almost 10,000 men. Just get that image in your head. The tabernacle is God's glory house. 
gold and and the the acacia wood and and the silver and the joining together of the of the posts and this massive glorious structure that is God's own glory house and it took almost 10,000 men to carry it from one spot to another this army marching through the desert with the glory house of Jehovah God, do you think out of 10,000 men, one of them might have dropped a pole? One of them might have touched something over here that they shouldn't have when they were trying to pick up their own little... 10,000 men. And if anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally and any of the holy things, <laughs> think about that, sins unintentionally in any of it, then he is to bring not just this offering, but you notice he's to add a fifth. To approach God casually, to mishandle the holy things of God, to mishandle His Word, to mishandle His worship, to mishandle those things that He has declared to be special unto Him, is to defraud Him. Do you see that? The exact same punishment, adding a fifth, that we've read in chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. When you and I commit fraud against our neighbor, we're to add a fifth as we restore. And when we mishandle the holy things of God, we also have committed fraud. Jesus fleshes this out a little bit for us in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. There are, again, verses that you're very familiar with. But our Lord says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Do you see that they are mishandling the holy things? The service to God, the prayers before God, the service to the least among us, to the outcast, to the poor, becomes a way for them to get public recognition. They're mishandling the holy things of God. The very commands that God has given because they are not done in the right manner become signs of hypocrisy. They become signs, ultimately, of a person 
who is not in relationship with God at all. They've received the, the full reward. Meaning, that's it. That's all there is. The praise and adulation of man is the reward. And so they mishandle the holy things of God. To break faith with God, beloved, is to defraud Him. The other thing I want you to notice here in this first section of loving God, is the second table of the law, verse 17 through 19. If anyone says, so, so do you see here the two tables of the law? The first table is verses 14 through 16. And that is the first table of the law. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Uh, the, the first table of the law, those things that belong specifically to the worship of God, are taken up here in, in verses 14 through 16. And then the second table of the law, of how we are to treat one another, is verses 17 through the end of the chapter. If anyone sins, doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandment ought not to be done. And then we go on from there. Now, obviously, as you think, of what this would have looked like in practice. There are innumerable ways in which your local average Israelite would blow it. I would be sacrificing a ram an hour. And that's a good day. <laughs> I, I would decimate my flock within a couple of days. If I was saying every single one of God's commands, every single one, not just externally, but in the heart itself, every single command, my heart longs to follow. Rams and bulls and goats and lambs and sheep would be wiped out from the entire land of Israel it would be decimated. And that perfect standard, that perfect righteousness, that continual demand that you and I pursue holiness, without which it is impossible to see the Lord, that you and I wake up each morning and say, God, Grant that today I may be as holy as it is possible for one man, one woman, one boy, or one girl to be. I will walk in your paths and I want you to keep me today. I want you to bring to my mind the times when I'm about to smart off to my wife and give a cutting retort to something that was an unintentional slight or even an intentional one. Maybe she's in a bad mood herself and she says something and I'm just ready to lash back out. Guard my tongue. I want to be holy. I want to love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Guard my attitude towards my children. Guard, children, my attitude towards mom and dad. Guard me. 
Guard me and make me holy. As holy as it is possible for one man, one woman, one boy, one girl to possibly be. The second table of the law, any of these commands, what's the, what's the outcome of that? The outcome of that, how this is going to look in real life, is that your average conscientious Israelite is going to be a student of the Word. If I've got to worry about wiping out my entire herd of animals every time I blow it, then at the very least, I'm going to be studying the Word pretty carefully to try not to blow it. At least I'm going to know. At least I'm going to be a student of the Word. And do you see even here the mercy, the grace of God that He drives through redemption and forgiveness, through an awareness of guilt, through a guilty conscience. He drives us to His revealed Word to say, not only this is the way walk you in it, but also to say, when you fail, here is forgiveness and restoration. There's a reason that the Word of God is absolutely central in your life and in my life. There's a reason that the Word of God is absolutely the bedrock upon which the church, the true church, the faithful church, is built. And that is because... Not only this reveals the will of God for us and for our salvation, but it also is the light to our feet, the lamp to our path. It shows us the way to walk in harmony with God's intended purposes. And so here in chapter 5, we see this love for God. A love for God that is going to control the life of your typical Israelite. And then notice something that happens in between the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6. In fact, chapter 6 opens with these words. Chapter 6 says, The Lord spoke to Moses. So again, just remember, remember this overall picture that Moses is painting for us. Here we are in chapter 5. God says, If you mishandle holy things, not only is it a sin, but is specifically defrauding me. And if you miss any of my commands, then you're to come. The first two tables of the law, and then there's silence. And then chapter 6 opens. And God spoke from heaven. Just dwell in that silence. Dwell in that moment. In between chapter 5 and chapter 6. The awesome pressure, the awesome weight of knowing that if there is anything in my worship, the awesome terror of knowing if there is any sin, hidden sin, secret sin, private sin, 
God demands all of you. He demands every, every moment, every arena. Even here, in these situations that are completely private. Then the Lord speaks from heaven again, and He speaks to us not just of how we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength, but also how we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so these sins that are listed are sins of fraud, in which all the way from actually cheating somebody to simply, I saw Susie drop a $20 bill on the ground, and I thought, wow, thank you, Lord, a $20 bill just for me, and I picked it up, and Susie turned around and she said, did you see a $20 bill anywhere? And I'm like, hmm, couldn't really tell you. Not sure. (laughs) All the way down to just these selfish, nasty things (laughs) that we do far too often. But you'll notice in verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, if anyone sins and commits a breach of faith, now, what should the next verse, or next word say? It should say, if this was my Bible and I was writing it, <laughs> it should say, if anyone commits a breach of faith against his brother. It should say, against his neighbor. It doesn't. If anyone commits a breach of faith against the Lord by defrauding his neighbor, That's a frightening thought, brothers and sisters. (laughs) That is a high and holy standard. That when I am duplicitous in any way, when I'm selfish, when I'm focused in on myself, that it's not just my spouse, my children, my parents, my co-workers, whatever, but ultimately it's God Himself that I am cheating. It's the same ethic that Christ gives us in the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at a portion of that this morning with the issue of anger. If you're angry with your brother, you say to your brother, you're a fool. You're in danger of hellfire. And I tell you, if you come to the altar and you bring your gift and your brother's got something against you, leave your gift, go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come back. I made the point in Sunday school... 1 Corinthians 11.26, the the issue of uh, what it means to discern the body and rightly partake of the Lord's Supper, there's all kinds of disagreements over what that means. There's all kinds of different points of view, and we're never going to get them all ironed out. But one thing that we absolutely need to agree on, one thing that we absolutely must insist upon, is that unresolved conflict that in on my side, I have not done the work to resolve it. Unresolved conflict with my brother cuts me off from the means of grace. Whew. I want you to think about that for a second. <laughs> you cannot 
rightly come and say, I'm at harmony with God. I'm at peace with God. When you are not willing to be in harmony and at peace with your brother. Now, harmony and peace with your brother may look very differently. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that there are some times when harmony and peace with my brother means, listen, we've said everything that needs to be said. We've done so as graciously as we're able, and we just need to part. Uh, you need to go your way. I need to go mine. Uh, Paul and Barnabas uh, probably still continued to come to the Lord's table. even as they were not on the same page in terms of wisdom decisions regarding ministry. Uh, But living in conflict with my brother, living in conflict with my brother, is something that cuts me off from the means of grace, which is God's point here in chapter 6. That is a breach of faith against the Lord himself. We are God's Children. This is a theme that goes throughout the scriptures. We are family. Our Lord says, how do you pray? Our Father. Jesus himself is not ashamed to call you and me his brothers. We read that in Hebrews chapter 2, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. God is our Father says to you and me, his children, stop being ugly to each other. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? (laughs) Not only that God would have to say that, but that clearly we're still ugly to each other. (laughs) Clearly this stuff still goes on. Beloved, if you want to know what it means to witness, to bear witness, if you want to know what it means to witness, this community, the ones who love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their strength, and the ones who love their neighbor as themselves, is not going to be found anywhere else on this planet. It's not going to be found under any other religious system. It is not going to be found anywhere in anything. I don't know how many times I have heard young people talk about my family or my support group. My friends and supporters, that's my real family. I see this nonsense all the time on Facebook where someone just declares family because there's such a close and loving connection with this other person or with this group of people. The problem is that that completely undercuts the permanent nature of family. Family simply becomes the people I like at any given moment. The church, the church 
is full of a bunch of complicated messes. The church is full of lots of opportunities to show forgiveness, <laughs> to show compassion, to cover over sin. The church is a glorious gymnasium <laughs> for growth in this area. God says that you and I are his children. Jesus Christ says that you and I are his brothers. So that our Heavenly Father tells us how to live faithfully as a family. Living intentionally as brothers and sisters. Then the final thing I want to bring to your attention is that if you'll notice, there are three sections here. The end of verse 16, the end of the first section, the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering and he shall be forgiven. The end of chapter 5 in verse 19, it is a guilt offering. He has indeed incurred guilt before the Lord, I'm sorry, the previous verse, for the mistake that he made unintentionally and he shall be forgiven. And then it builds to this crescendo in chapter 6 and verse 7. The priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do and thereby become guilty. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Full. Free. Without price. Now clearly, the sacrifice is price. But the sacrifice itself doesn't earn peace with God. Again, the writers of the Old Testament regularly The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. Are you going to be satisfied with rivers of oil? Is that what it takes? Am I appeasing you? Of course not. They knew from day one this had nothing to do with appeasement. It was not a bribe. But what they didn't realize, or what they failed to realize, is... That all of these things had to point to a perfect sacrifice, to a complete sacrifice, to a finished sacrifice. And so in these two things, in these issues of redemption and righteousness, the failure to live righteously and the offer of forgiveness... In these two things is nothing less, brothers and sisters, than you're in my life. This is what the Christian faith is. It's what the Christian's pilgrimage is. And it's a pilgrimage that's not made possible by you and I offering more and more stuff to God. It's a pilgrimage, it's a place and a relationship that is made possible, that is secured for us because of that ram, because of that bull, because of that goat, because of that lamb, because of that turtle dove, because of all of the sacrifices that ultimately pointed us to here. A perfect and final sacrifice. Beloved, that is why you and I are called again and again 
to come to the table. Because again and again, you and I need to be reminded. Because it's far too easy for us to say, dotting the I's and crossing the T's is what it means to be a Christian. Being a good boy, being a good girl. And the fact of the matter is, you're not. You're not a good boy. You're not a good girl. You're not a good man and you're not a good woman. If you are, this is not a place for you. This is a place for those who are broken. This is a place for those who need healing. And the message is, the core truth is, that there is one who was broken for you. There is one who was killed for you. One who is perfect righteousness. And one in whom you and I can have peace. Peace with God. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for your mercy to us in Christ. That even as we see all of these sacrifices for even these private sins, yet still, through them we see our Savior. The one who is perfectly righteous in both tables of the law and in all of his continuing love for us. Grant that we may be found in him. In Christ's name, amen.